good morning everybody. Uh, my name is Mansour um, and today I will be talking to you about the issue of admissions in higher education. Um, yeah, so I'll be looking at two projects today, uh, both of which I've been involved in whilst working at the School of Medicine and Dentistry. Um, and so what I'm going to do is just go through the aims, methodology, findings and some questions for you to think about uh, for each project. Uh, so the presentation will really just follow that pattern. Um, and I'll, ta I'll make it clear how I think both projects sort of reinforce one another and complement one another. So the first project that I'll be talking about today, slightly more than the second, looks at the issue of contextual data in medical, uh, medical school selection. So contextual data is just data that medical schools use to flag up students from non-traditional backgrounds. Um, and this study was worked on uh, alongside Aberdeen University and was a nationwide study. Uh, the second project was an institution-wide study specific to QMUL, Queen Mary University, and looked at the factors affecting widening participation students' success. So widening participation students is just those students who come from non-traditional backgrounds. Uh, so, yes, so the first study looking at contextual data, the aims were basically, there were two sets of aims. One was to look at how accessible and verifiable different contextual data measures were uh, for medical schools and therefore which they were more likely to use. And the second project, uh, the second aim, beg your pardon, looked at bigger picture factors around contextual data. So by this I just mean data providers and sources and measures that could centralize and standardize any process by which medical schools use contextual data, so across different schools. So essentially I was interested in five things, or we were interested in five things. Uh, what data was used and why, uh, which part of the admission cycle contextual data was used in, so just I guess in broad terms the start, middle or end, uh, the data sources and verification of contextual data, the relationship between medical schools and their parent university, the university at large, and the applicability of contextual data to a local and national context. So, the part of this study that I was involved in uh, just involved me conducting semi-structured telephone interviews, and these were done uh, with 19 medical schools across the UK, uh, so 26 personnel in total, and this was mostly consisting of uh, members of staff, like members of dean, the, the deans for taught uh, programs in medical education. Uh, but there were seven central admission staff individuals that I also spoke to. And so, uh, you know, as you would expect, the interviews were recorded and a thematic analysis was conducted on the transcripts. So, the first set of findings basically looked at how medical schools understood contextual data and any issues that they associated with contextual data. So contextual data was really spoken about in two main ways and this related to the theme of impediment and uh, fairness and quality, which are quite reinforcing I guess. Um, so in other words, the limits that students faced entering into medical schools and the idea that contextual data could provide an opportunity for students to actually enter into medical school. And there were, I guess, five main issues that were spoken about 
in relation to contextual data. So the first was with regards to the reliability of contextual markers. So I beg your pardon here. So CA just means contextual analysis. So analysis of contextual data. So the first issue related to the reliability of contextual markers. Uh, and this was in relation to the fact that a lot of contextual data relied on students or applicants rather self-reporting. So for example, applicants, uh, you know, if you think about flagging up a student, uh, one example would be if they were the first in their family to enter into higher education. And this would rely on students or applicants actually self-reporting this. So a lot of medical schools said, well, there is this issue of reliability. Uh, you know, can we just, can we rely on just the student's word for it, if you like? Um, the second issue is that, or it was that there's no holistic marker for uh, capturing, uh, I guess, a person's non-traditional status, if you like. So there's limits to any single marker. So if you think about uh, polar data, which is just data, geodemographic data that looks at where the student lives, you might know from that data where the student lives, but you won't necessarily know other aspects of sociocultural financial disadvantage. Um, there was also a mention about a limitation with regards to data providers such as UCAS. So this essentially just related to the way in which uh, the, for instance, UCAS, the depth of the data that they were able to provide. So it was often quite scant, incomplete, or wasn't actually given to medical schools on a timely basis. So often medical schools would receive contextual data um, when they were further along in their admissions process and they would say, well, this is irrelevant to us. Um, and the idea that there was a lack of a widening participation definition, essentially meaning that there was no set of consistent markers that medical schools could know about to actually use across the board. Um, yeah. And so there's obviously no standardization there. The fifth issue related to that of what I call the cutoff point, uh, which made, which created the problem of a squeezed middle. So often schools would uh, flag students up if they came from the bottom 20% of underperforming schools. So this is a problem, or this was seen as a problem for many individuals from the medical schools, in the sense that, okay, I flagged up the 20 bottom, uh, the bottom 20%, but what about the bottom 21%? bottom 22% and so forth um, and basically that using contextual data is really good beneficial we like it but you know certain students who may benefit from being flagged are not being flagged um, yes so the second set of results from the interviews look at what contextual data markers were used and basically broadly speaking across the sample School performance and geodemographic data were the most widely used by medical schools. So why was this the case? It was the case because they were the most available and the most reliable. So often school performance data, you can go onto the Department of Education website and see how well an applicant's school does. Uh, and you can get polar data by going onto the polar site and uh, putting in a student's postcode, for example. So this is basically a secondary use of data it's all been checked and verified beforehand. And so medical schools didn't really have to do much in terms of a verif verification process. So they were just the most, um, I guess, user-friendly for medical schools. Um, 
yes. So in an, an, um, like in other cases, other bits of contextual data was used. So for instance, whether an individual was a carer, whether they had been eligible for free school meals whilst they were in school, whether they were the first in their family to go into higher education, and whether they've been on a widening access scheme. But these were less consistently mentioned. Uh, because as you could imagine, you know, eligibility for free school meals, and if you're the first in your family to enter into higher education, you have to rely on students to actually, or applicants to tell you this. Care status was seen as something that students themselves had to provide proof of. So schools didn't really uh, necessarily want to go down that route consistently across the sample. Whether a student had been on a widening access scheme was not seen as problematic because the parent university so the university rather than just the school often had this data but again it wasn't as widely used as school performance and geodemographic data um, so where am I? okay the idea we looked at the idea of a central repository and guidance system for contextual data so as I mentioned to you before one of the issues was that there was no consistent WP definition so schools didn't really know what data to use to flag up students. So we asked medical schools, do you like the idea of having a central repository and guidance system to teach you and to inform you how to use contextual data? So because of the lack of a standardization across medical schools, they really welcomed it in uh, theory. Um, but the practice was slightly different, slightly different. Um, and this related to the fact that although the central repository and guidance system would allow medical schools to be standardized and do things for a strong evidence base and to be consistent and transparent, um, it was seen as undermining the idea of the local specificities of the medical school itself. So for example, there were certain medical schools who they really benefited from using polar data and other medical schools didn't. And they said, well, if we have this, this top-down enforcement, you know, the things that are specific to us could be undermined. We wouldn't necessarily like it. Um, but this was a big, the, the, in theory, this was really light because it was current, it is currently the case that a student may be contextually flagged at one medical school and not contextually flagged at another medical school, which you can see later on when you see what is done as a result of contextual data being used, that it was a big problem. Um, so yeah, a central repository and guidance system was welcomed really as something as to be advisory rather than obligatory. Um, and that was the way in which that was spoken about. So what happens as a result of contextual data being used? Uh, this is why it was really important, medical schools mentioned for some element of standardization, because certain students could have adjusted entry and the like here in one medical school, but not another when they were going through the application process. So adjusted entry was typically done with A-levels and GCSE marks. So if you were contextually flagged rather than three A's, you could get in with three A's and two B's, for example. Certain applicants were automatically granted the chance of an interview. So they would skip certain stages. Um, and this was particularly the case if you reported yourself as a carer, for example. Gateway programs, just a year-long program to supplement medical information before entering into the main medical school. Increasing the number of interviews specifically for contextually flagged students, a bit like a quota system if you like, um, and tailoring specific programs for flagged applicants to look that uh, account for their personal needs. So, you know, um, 
let's say, a deficit maybe in terms of knowledge or, or anything like that to just basically get them up to speed and then, you know, go through the learning process, if you like. So I have three sets of questions here from this project. Um, and this is really just for you to also take into your own, uh, look at in your own time if you really like when these slides become available. But I'll just read them for you here. Should efforts be made to encourage, not encouraging, to encourage schools to move beyond uh, school performance and geodemographic data? So, you know, uh, should we try and move beyond these? Uh, are these problematic in themselves, just alone? Should we look at formulating and employing a standardized, albeit imperfect, definition of WP to apply to applicants? And can a centralized guidance and repository systems for schools in the UK be implemented in practice? So those are just questions for you to think about. And if you have any questions for me, you can work off these if you like. So the second project, and it's really important here, so I'll just tell you now, broadly speaking, this project was uh, an institution-wide project, but found no statistically significant findings for medical schools. And that's really interesting because it tells, it suggests to me personally here, that medicine is at a different stage with regards to uh, students entering from non-traditional backgrounds than other disciplines, and that actually the nature of WP or the non-traditional status may be different between medicine and other disciplines. So this project found significant findings, but not for a medical cohort, which is really important to mention. But this project looked at attainment and progression for widening participation students. Um, and attainment was measured via the average end of year mark that students got. So let's say if they got four grades from four modules, just the average of that. And progression was looked at in terms of the student's capability to obtain a pass rather than fail mark. Uh, and basically accounted for the student's journey through higher education rather than just final degree classification. Uh, so it, tried, it was slightly uh, novel in that regard, if you like. So the methodology, it was a mixed methods study um, combining qualitative and quantitative research designs. So the quantitative part of the, of the study was a student database and it just consisted of various WP indicators and some supplementary information one of which, one of the aspects I'll be talking about for admissions here is uh, how students actually came through higher into higher education, whether they came through clearing or not. And so uh, logistic regression models were used to examine how attainment and progression related to WP indicators and this supplementary information. Um, I've included, so it was done with a medical cohort, but the findings here relate specifically to those from the humanities and social sciences and science and engineering students. Uh, and then the qualitative side of this looked at those factors that were statistically significant in the quantitative side of the study. And basically just try to explore why these factors are important and have led to differential rates of attainment and progression between WP and non-WP non students. So it was just interviews with students and a thematic analysis of these interviews. Um, so the issue of clearing, this was one of many findings in this project, but for the issue of admissions, I've decided to focus on clearing. Um, and as you might expect, those who entered via clearing did not fare as well in terms of their end of year average marks, their attainment. Um, and this was in both years one and two. So suggesting a bit of a longitudinal effect there with the gap actually existing more in year two. Um, 
you might say to me here, if you're quantitatively inclined, that these figures, uh, you could criticize these figures in terms of the uh, significance level. But qualitatively, clearing was also found to be important. Uh, so the qualitative stuff tried to build on this and see why was it the case that students who came from clearing didn't do as well. So it was the case that those who went through clearing, those who were sampled, typically were those who did not get the grades uh, to enter into their original program choice and therefore had to choose an alternative program. Um, going through, through clearing was seen to encourage a feeling of inadequacy by the students. Uh, and this was linked to the fact that students generally saw themselves as going through a process which they saw as, and I, I'm quoting here, unintelligent people. So they felt inadequate by this. Um, and they felt that they were choosing a program associated to clearing that really was undesirable and not many people wanted. Um, and so they felt a bit, you know, down and uh, even before they entered, disheartened even before they entered into university, uh, which is really important to mention. Um, so I just read you one quote here by a student. You already think to yourself, I did kind of rubbish. And then once clearing starts, it just gets worse. You feel like the lowest in this big pile of people looking at the courses no one wants. So it's just one example there for you. Um, so what was really interesting was that in the quantitative part of this, we tried to examine for differences between uh, students coming through clearing. You would naturally want to find that, right? But quantitative side of this did not find any differences that were statistically significant. The qualitative findings, however, did allude to this. So those who enter through clearing are by no means a uniform group. Um, and one of the big differences was that those who entered and went into programs on the science and engineering course generally felt that they were more able to get to grips with the issue of clearing quicker. Um, so if I just go ahead of this before I go back, you see that one student um, said here, that I wanted to do electronic engineering, that didn't really happen, and I was really down at the start. The good thing was that I was able to pick some of the engineering modules with my computer science degree, so I sort of did a pick and mix with things, making the degree suit me. So science and engineering students, uh, from this small sample, admittedly, but from this sample, they said that there was a bit of a flexibility in terms of the modules that they could pick, on their uh, newly selected program. So they, they felt that there was a bit of an element of continuity with what they had originally intended to do. Humanities and social science students didn't really talk in these terms. And, you know, that was one difference that should look to be explored further, um, but it is alluded to in this sample here. And there was also the case that um, science and engineering students also spoke as having more favorable interactions with uh, faculty staff during the clearing process. Uh, they felt that the, the interactions with faculty staff were based more around their compatibility to their newly selected program um, and to uh, their capabilities. And it wasn't so much a questioning on their personal characteristics or, individual, or members of staff questioning them on their work ethic. Um, 
However, all, all of the individuals, to some extent, mentioned that their interactions with staff could have been dealt with better in terms of there being less of this focus. Um, so yes, that, those are the differences that are alluded to in this sample. Uh, anecdotally, from me personally, when I was talking as part of this study um, to the Dean for the uh, taught programs in science and engineering, they mentioned that they were generally more accustomed to the idea of clearing. I think they get a lot more courses going through clearing. Um, I would suggest that maybe, just maybe, uh, because they're more uh, interactive with clearing, they're able to better manage clearing students, but that is just my own personal view here. Uh, so I've given you that quote, and I've given you a set of questions again to think about. One of these is the same, uh, because it's probably, it probably unifies these two studies as well. And that is, should we look into formulating and employing a standardised, albeit imperfect, definition of WP to apply to applicants? But this one is really important, I think, because clearing is not a WP indicator. You could say that clearing students are more likely to enter into higher education via clearing, but it is by no means a concrete WP indicator in itself, you could say. So clearing was found to impact attainment, but it's not a WP indicator as such. So should clearing be managed differently according to whether students are WP or non-WP? Just a question for you to think about. Um, and what I've done here now is just include some references for you that really just informed this research. Um, most of these are based on, the, uh, informed the WP study because I focused on it less here and I haven't tried to include all the findings from the WP study because this presentation is on admissions. So feel free to look at these in your own time. But if you're really interested in the contextual data study, uh, then the garlic paper on widening participation in medicine is, I would say, a good place to start. Um, so yeah, if I have time, I could maybe explain a bit more about why I think these uh, studies, why these studies complement one another. So first of all, as I said before, you could say that uh, the... What was I going to say? <laughs> um, so yeah, medical programs in themselves don't have, they don't really go through clearing. So when I was doing the contextual data study, there was only one medical school that I spoke to that mentioned that they had put their program through clearing. So again, I think this suggests that really there's a bit of a disparity, maybe, this is my personal view, that you could say between medicine and other programs to some extent. Um, but also that the nature of WP is different, as I said, maybe between different student cohorts, and I think that's something for us to think about because we really don't have a clear, concise idea of what WP is. And I think it makes it even more complicated if WP means something different to different students. Um, yeah, so I think I'm done. Yeah. Thank you.